0: Jacob, I have a question. Today, during our training, it was mentioned something about future payments based on incentives. So, an incentive payment for teachers. Your thoughts?
1: Oh, okay. So, we're starting like that today. All right. Um.
0: <laughs> well, the reason I'm asking is I mentioned it to my mom. I wasn't really thinking anything about it. Yeah. And then my mom kind of made it a little controversial. My mom, I guess it's a little more something than what I even thought. So just that, I wonder what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I'd be curious to see what your mom said, but, um, in terms of, so I don't know, here's where I get frustrated with a lot of this. Okay. There's probably, this might be a long answer. Oh no. So, <laughs> well, because it, it's multi-dimensional and I, and it's not all bad and you, you know, I like nuance. So let me, let me meander for a minute. So I have – when it comes to just incentive, right, on the face of it, it seems like something good, right? Oh, you should get rewarded for success. This is a very capitalist idea. It's a very business-oriented model to education. You do better, you get bonuses. We love this in America. This is the entire – the economy. Like this is something that most people don't have a problem with unless it's in the billions of dollars and you're sending yourself into outer space. But I digress. Uh, And so naturally people are like, yeah, you know, I would, I would love to get more money for being successful, right? I would love to be rewarded for my hard work, my time, et cetera, et cetera. One of the problems with this is the conflation with all industry, with business, um, with all assets of what is actually happening. Uh, we do this in America for a variety of reasons. We fetishize business we're we're obsessed with it. It's, it's literally built into the foundation of the American dream. And I don't have anything against that, right? I'm not an anti-capitalist. I'm not a anti-business person. I own a business, right? I, I don't, it, that, that that's not what I'm against, but What I find at least somewhat troubling is when we equate teaching something that is so dependent on uh, factors outside of employees' control. You don't, well, if you're working at a public school, you don't pick your kids. Um, We educate everyone in America. Uh, or at least we try to. That's that's the goal of public education, and yet we have systems in place that reward teachers for having the highest scores. Um, that rewards teachers for uh, creating standardized uh, results that can be rec- uh, replicated, even when students change. Right. So this idea of getting money based on performance ignores the fact that not let alone all if let's say you only have 25 kids, which most people have more if they're in secondary, but let's say you only have 25. Those 25 kids have different reading levels. They come from different backgrounds. They have different levels of education. They have different levels of access to certain things. They have been awarded certain privileges just based on their socioeconomic class, et cetera, et cetera. So let's say your class is scoring better than my class, none of those factors are taken into account. You might be the better teacher. You might be teaching your butt off, but how do you have, is there a control for that under a model of uh, teacher incentive pay, right? Do we control for the fact that uh, my students might come in three grades lower than yours, but I might have grew them more, but do you get paid more based on scores, right? That, that's that's uh, area for concern kind of number one, which is, is this really a practice that accurately represents what's happening in the classroom? Make sense? Uh, moving beyond that, it becomes this idea about a more philosophical concept of should teachers do what they do because they want more money? On one level, you're like, sure, you should. If you're good at what you do, you should make money. <laughs> Making money is not evil. Making money is very good. You can do a lot of things with money, right? You should be rewarded for your hard work. However, when we start equating human beings to capital, right, which is what our business is in America, when we start saying that these are capital gains to make, our growth measures are no longer growth and learning, but they're now, uh, by extension, capital gains that we are profiting from. Is that a moral objective to have in an educational system designed to educate everyone? I think that the incentive model and by the way, there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think we could debate whether there is an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in a public school model, in a nation with a public school system as large as ours, an incentive pay system is not rewarding the proper things because there's no way to control for the proper things. I think if we had a completely privatized educational system and each each like uh district well there probably wouldn't be districts in this case, but each school has their own thing and they have their own incentive structures. I think in that case, you could probably control for some of those but even then I would argue that. There's so many nuances and factors to that. So my overall opinion of incentive pay is that it's been tried before. It's not new. It's something that has come and gone uh, several times. I learned that when I read the book Teacher Wars by Goldstein, who which is a fantastic book. Everyone should go read it. It tells you the history of teaching um, and teachers' unions and stuff. It's very fascinating. Um, especially as a Texas teacher who doesn't have a union, right? We don't have right. unions here. We
0: don't have unions.
1: Um, and that, so that's something kind of outside of my realm of expertise. But it talks about this. It talks about charter schools. It talks about teacher incentive pay. It talks about the standards movement and all of that. And what I learned from that is it is – it a lot of things that sound decent because they're kind of a part of our culture don't always work. You know, we get – Uh, don't always work when we're talking about education, just because education, it's different, right? It's, we are not running a business in public education. Like colleges are businesses, right? They sell things, they make money, they profit off of them. They're very rich. Um, Public schools are not like that. And I get the, I think the to cap this off without rambling too far is I in all honesty I think the incentive pay is an attempt to fix an obvious problem which is teachers are not paid enough based on their time and effort put in and based on their professional degrees um, it's an attempt to fix a problem but it's I think it's a it's a futile attempt and I think it's a I think it's a wrong-headed attempt because it's equating education too much with business which in most cases in public education, um, I argue that we aren 't a business, and we are not business owners in public education. We are people who are signing up to educate every child based on their needs and to try to get them to where they can go to actualize whatever potential that they could possibly get to and that doesn't in, that doesn't uh, that doesn't connect to incentive pay because not every child is going to end up in the same area so I don't know. Does that answer your question? Do you have anything to add to that?
0: No, you said you, my mom, she was more like, she she taught on level mainly. She didn't teach honors, you know, just because, for whatever reason. And so she always was saying that, that the kids who, the teachers who had the honors kids, and it's similar to what you were saying, they have, they're going to have higher scores. So if you've got a teacher that has all honors students, or an IB program that has all, honor, you know, uh, honor-type students, GT students, et cetera, those teachers, depending on how the incentive pay and the way it has been set up, is by scores. So if it was set up by those scores, then the teacher who's actually, like you said, teaching their dogs off trying to just maintain the classroom and get the kid, you know, get the kids to even grow a little bit uh, will never get the incentive. And so therefore it's, it's a, it's a, it's a program that defeats itself.
1: Well, and here's here's the fact of the matter that I think uh, one I want to touch on that too, Rich is you have I think it creates an un- I think there's healthy competition and stuff like as much as I am against standardized test scores and stuff like I do I definitely play the the competition game with my co teachers and stuff right Oh I'm, I know Yeah we and I'm <laughs> it's it's fun, Now that, that, that I'm a co-teacher, I'm learning. That's right. It's not my, uh, you know, it's not my drive. It's it's more of a how to entertain myself within a system that I think is fundamentally broken anyway. But you know, there is magic in seeing like how much growth you can get on these things, and it it serves maybe twenty percent, not even that, like ten percent of my energy. But there is that piece. But there is an unhealthy competition that gets happen here, right? We've seen it time and time again when people, when teachers are paid on bonuses for test scores, they cheat. They, they, they resort to shady things. You know why they cheat though? Because the, they, the playing field isn't fair. You get the Uh kids you get. I get the kids I get to, to simplify this into, oh, we'll just reward the teacher with the best scores ignores all of these other elements that are going on, which is why, you know, someone might say, okay, so why don't you reward based on growth? That's an interesting conversation. Uh Um, but here's the thing. If we really valued growth, we wouldn't have rising proficiency standards uh, based on all of these federal guidelines. No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top. What have they been doing? They've been moving the bar They've up. The bar. So what this ha- means is that th- literally the goalpost has been moving this entire time because we're not incentivizing growth because these laws and these uh, these ed- focuses in kind of the bureaucratic area of education are not accounting for uh, the, the socio issues of this. And it's the education again is not a business because it doesn't, it doesn't operate under the same principles, right? We can't go out and get, more smarter kids to enroll, and then that bumps up our scores. That's what a business would do. What do you do when your business isn't selling more? You change your advertisement, and you get different customers in, right? You change uh-huh. what you're doing. Education can't do that, It it and it shouldn't do that. We should educate everyone based on what they bring to the classroom. And so the the incentive pay, I, I <laughs> it sounds good to a lot of people, and I, I'm sure there's people listening to this that could probably – argue against what I'm saying, and maybe you can too, but I I feel like it just falls, it falls on more merits than it actually is supported by.
0: All righty. Well, with that, everyone, (laughs) welcome to Crafted (laughs) Draft. I'm Pam Ochoa, and that philosophical person over there who disagrees with incentive pay kind of uh, is Jacob Chastain, and today we are going to talk about Jacob a little we're going to do a little bit of a hodgepodge, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about maybe some follow-up questions to our video that we had. And by the way, thank you everyone who has seen it and are viewed it. We sure do appreciate your support. I hope it's been helpful. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and then whatever else crops up. So Jacob, what were some of the comments that you think we should be addressing based on our feedback?
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, like you said, right, shout out to everyone who actually watched. You know, when we did that video, we weren't really (laughs) sure, we'll we'll talk about a little thing in a second, but when we made the video, you know, we weren't really sure who would pay attention and who would watch and if it would be valuable. You know, we, we see the numbers of the podcast ticking up and we see more listeners and more shares and you know, I'm getting more messages both through craft the draft and teach me teacher that a lot of people cross over. A lot of the English teachers who are listening to Teach Me teacher have now come over here. Um, I was talking to one man who I don't have his name on me right now. So if he, he, if he hears this, he's going to know I'm talking about him, but he had messaged me and he was talking about how, uh, he, you know, he, he really loves the the English side of teach me teacher. And you know, Teach Me Teacher at this point covers so many topics that I don't always talk English. And now that this podcast exists, I, I feel like it, it, let, it lets Teach Me Teacher spread its wings even more. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was like, I really love I can't wait for more workshop conversations. And I was like, man, there's the craft and draft workshop. That's all we talk about over there. And he goes, yeah. He was like, teach me, teacher. You know, it's like a, a casual, you know, show in craft and draft. I feel like I have a notepad and pen out when I'm listening. So <laughs> oh,
0: that's a, that is a nice compliment. Actually, so, we're glad we're able to help.
1: And so I, I think that's that's the interesting part of this show and why it's differentiated is one it's us literally just coming on here and chatting and and going through conversations but there is a level of depth here that uh, teacher teacher is, is it, it can get to but the majority of the conversations are, it's just not the same format so it's a little bit different but um, so yeah. there's stuff like that going on so people have been very receptive the video has gotten you know, over 100 views right now, which might not sound like a lot, but, I mean, th- to us, and it, it is, it's all—it's quite a bit for us just because that those are the people who listened to the show and then went to right the video. and And that's, you know, we don't have a YouTube presence and, you know, it was just us. So it's interesting to see so many people interact with it. But I have to point out one thing just because it's hilarious, which is uh. people... Are pro- Maybe they didn't notice, and maybe they did, but we I have never recorded a Zoom. I've recorded a, several Zooms, but I've never recorded a Zoom conversation with two people presenting something. So, and obviously I didn't practice before. So. <laughs> well... well. And that, I had that's just a, gotten my new computer, so we really couldn't practice. Well, that too, right? Like you had literally just kind of started up your yeah, new computer. Yeah, that was computer. my first
0: time to use that computer.
1: Um, so there there's that piece. So when we uh did it, I was just like, all right, we'll hope for the best. And it ended up just being your head floating through like the entire yes. presentation, even when you weren't talking, which I, I was know. surprised just about. Just
0: nodding my head. Nodding my head. That's all I did. Let's nod my head.
1: You know what? No Maybe one I did
0: ha- a little bit more.
1: At least no one has called out the the fact that I disappear after the first 10 minutes, <laughs> even though my voice is there. Um, I'm sure people notice, but it's like. Oh, well,
0: I represented all of them. That's I right. Think. Maybe that's what it was.
1: That's okay. And that's it's what like, we're here for.
0: We're just showing you how to listen to Jacob Chesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Nod your head.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how people deal with me. They're just like, okay. It's going to stop.
0: <laughs> no, I think it. I think it was. I think it was just fine. I don't know if people noticed my cats fighting, you know, in the background. If they did, I'm sorry about that. But That's all right. I do yeah. have cats that wish I would do more workshop with them.
1: the The cool so thing about my attention. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about all that is, you know, as COVID is still around, and you know, we're full-time teachers. So we can't just kind of go on the speaking circuit, so to speak. Um, you know, we definitely want to do some in-person workshops with people and, you know, some small ones. And, you know, I, I definitely see us, you know, visiting some of the, the literacy conventions and maybe speaking at those at some point. But, you know, we definitely want to be, not everyone can travel to those things. Not everyone wants to go to big cities. Not everyone can pay to go to conventions. So I think offering affordable trainings that uh you know that people can pay for it through facebook or some other type of platform mm-hmm. um i think that because i think that this was a small dip into that world and you know we did it free this time obviously and uh that video will be taken down by the end of august just because of obvious reasons of intellectual property and stuff like that but um I you know that it it's cool to see that people just are already interested in using craft and draft and some people are like teachers are like there's gonna be kids all over the place using some craft books and draft books and what we noticed though in our comments and DMs going into why we're podcasting right now is a lot of elementary teachers listen to us. And I, I that was actually Hi. shocking to me. Oh, okay.
0: Well, you know, Jacob, when I do my trainings, you know, when I train those three weeks. Institutes we have we train from K through twelve, so I've trained kindergarten teachers. I've gone into elementaries and have helped them with uh, such things.
1: So, so, so. I, I'm curious as to because in my head, right? Like I, uh, I taught sixth for most of my time, um, mm-hmm. and I've fifth is pretty close to sixth. Fourth is starting to get to a different edge, and then after that, my level of expertise and where I feel confident, like I can give advice, but where my level of confidence, it starts dipping specifically around then. And I'd be curious just for someone who's, you've been in secondary for so long and you've done so many different areas. I mean, do you, what do you find that there is, uh, what, what are the unique challenges that comes from implementing workshop at the lower grades? Cause I mean the research, like a lot of these people like Don Graves and stuff, like a lot of them, are in elementary, right? Like that's kind of where workshop bloomed and blossomed if I'm Mm -hmm. not mistaken. Yeah.
0: Lucy Hawkins. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, that whole crew. And so I, in, on, in one aspect, I'm like, well, obviously this can connect because this is kind of where it all started in the first place. But as a secondary trainer, do you find that the, the, you have to think about what you say, not what you say, but you have to think about how you present workshop differently in terms of that. I mean, is there complications with the, just the communication between what you're talking about in secondary and what they're experiencing in elementary?
0: Well, I think, I think really what you have to recognize is that students will be, I mean, the writing might look a little bit different, but it's still writing. For example, I went into a kindergarten class and um Anyway, we were watching and observing and they had read a book I think called Spilt Milk. And as they were reading it, the students were actually responding either through drawing or if they could write through writing. So the students responded in the best with it, in the best way that they could to the reading of that book. So if we were going to transfer that to craft and draft, They might have, like maybe the teacher might take a picture from that book or maybe a a picture of a page from that book and pass it out. And the students could tape it into their their journal or glue it into their little journal or whatever. And then the kids could uh, write a response on the left side to that picture. Uh, and that picture could be a drawing. It just depends. So you meet the students where they are at in their writing ability. And I think for uh, teachers who are younger, uh, deal with the younger ages, they have to recognize the different arenas of writing. And the fact that when we all began writing, all the way, you can take it through history, uh, we wrote on caves with pictographs and things like that. Well, if if you take and look at writing, from elementary all the way up, you will see that our students start with scribbles. And then when they move from scribbles, they they move into a new arena where they're maybe drawing, okay, with a few letters. And then as they're learning the letters and they're using the sounds, they put that together. Now, what a teacher would do is probably dictate. So maybe in the conference, they might say, tell me about your writing. And there it may look like a picture. So then the students tell about the writing. Well, then the teacher could be on their notebook Uh, doing their dictation during that conference of what that student is saying, they take a copy of that dictation and they put it with the picture in their notebook. So, you're meeting the students where they're at, depending on what level. Uh, I know that I have worked with fourth grade teachers. Angie She's. I'm going to mention her name. I'm going to let her know we mentioned her name. She's one, a trainer that I just worked with. We for should reading. get her
1: on, by the way. I'm we such need a to get her on. I know y'all are yeah. buddies, but I'm, like a, I'm, her, I'm one of her fans. Oh my gosh, only, she is amazing. I've only ever sat in her trainings.
0: Well, you know, she's the one who actually drew me to using notebooks in the classroom. And she wrote, as a matter of fact, she should have written her book and and published it. Um she had done all this research before any books were out. With uh, notebooks, actually, and I still have it. Uh, so she put all of this get together for certification, for training. She should have actually published it is what she should have done. So there's a lot of stuff that I learned from her. But when she had, she had what she called the writer's notebook. She didn't have a craft and draft. She really had what we would call our draft book. And so those students, she had fourth graders. And she would say, okay, this is your writer's notebook and we need to see the world with writerly eyes. And that's what she would call it. And then she would have the students go out and just like a writer, and she would use other writers as models. Like she would share uh, different things, you know, like Lewis Sacker, things like that. She would share some of the stuff that she had learned from them about their own writing. And then the students would imitate what those writers did. And they would go out and find things. For example, Holes... With Lewis Sacker, that is the the area, you know, where the holes happened and they were out there digging and digging and digging. That was, uh, Lewis Sacker took his family out on a trip to, like, Travis or Austin, and he just imagined the place without water. So the students would go and find Different, they could go and find pictures, and then they would put them anything that interests them. A gun, uh, you know, like a memory that somebody gave them, uh, maybe um, a package of, I don't know, Skittles. And that Skittles means something because it's from their best friend. Well, then they would put it in their notebook, and then the kids would write around it. And so her, her notebooks were, I mean, they were you know, they were like your regular composition notebooks, but but they were all stretched out because at least an inch thick. I mean, you couldn't shut them. They were so good. But her kids, they were fourth graders. I've never seen such writing like that. I had another third grade friend teacher third grade teacher who was a friend of mine, uh, what her students would write was amazing. So the students can write at the level we expect them to, but they won't do it if we don't write every day. And that's what that notebook's for. I know that was a long answer. I don't know if that was helpful, but that's that's one of the things I know that they can do it. I've seen it done and I've taught teachers how to do it.
1: That was one of the main questions we got from a variety of people. I know I had a conversation Mm -hmm. with um, a lady by Annette. Hi, Annette, if you're listening, but she had messaged mm. me on Instagram, but she had asked, you know, can, she had watched the video and she was talking about being incorporated into elementary, you know, she teaches third grade. Um, she wanted to find a way to have more, have them interact and, uh, with the material more and to take notes and ownership of their learning. So obviously that's kind of where craft and draft comes in. That's half of the reason the the process exists. Um, one of the complications that she was thinking about was, uh, um, the, the standards and the questions and the goals, um, she was talking about how it might be easier to model for them. And then she was saying that they are, many of her students are, are struggling learners. And so they, they might like, she feared kind of the, just like, it might be overwhelming in the way that from what we showed, you know, we showed like a lot of notes, and mm-hmm. my point was, you know, the you, what the what the right side looks like, what your mini lesson looks like, it could be whatever it is that you're doing, right? Like I have mm-hmm. uh, maybe in another video we can do is we can show the variety of mini lessons we've done or you know what would be kind of cool and to use the Facebook page more, which right now it just kind of exists to, to post a link every once in a while. But it might be cool to take pictures um, of old mini lessons and our new ones of like just like a snapshot of like, this is one of our... You know, mini lesson 20 that we did, here's what the craft book page looked like. And that way people can just okay. get examples of the way it looks mm-hmm. just from the way we do it. And it would be cool to see that from other people too, right? To have listeners be like, hey, here's a cool craft book page that I did. And that would, wouldn't that be, that's? Oh, I'm that actually getting really excited with that. And people are just. Yeah, that would be great just share like, oh, this was the, the model text that we used, or this was the poem, or this was the passage, et cetera, et cetera. And we just, we just share like the, what the teacher thinking was on there and how they, and maybe student examples of that. I don't, when you're sharing student examples, you have to have permission online, but something like that to where like a community of like these craft book pages that just exist um, for people to look at, that might be really interesting.
0: Well, it could be. And also like if somebody wanted to take something that we did share and then they modified it or adapted it to their own, then they could uh, put that back up there and tell us how it went. Uh, That's the only way we can really learn is we learn from each other. Um, But you know what? We really do need to get Angie on because she could really clarify because she's all elementary. She teaches, she's been in all the levels and she's a GT instructor as well. So she she does all of that. She would be great to be on here. So we might need to do that, everybody. Just saying. Well, I'll I'll approach her and ask her she'll do it.
1: Yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll uh Yeah,
0: because she can answer any of those. So if y'all are elementary and you have some questions, maybe we can I can address her. Yes. You know, ask her. We can either ask her, we can have her come on and let's let her answer these questions. So let me tell you, DMs. she is a rock star.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And she's that an Avidos trainer, twenty five year trainer. So she's Thirty year, how, how long great. has it been? It's been a long time.
1: Thirty year trainer, so yeah. Man, another guest coming. I see it. I see it. I but think we can do it. I can't so talk to her already. I have. I have a. I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. From this is from our YouTube comments. Oh, thank y'all um, again. Yep, yeah, shout out. Uh, this person says Emma Smith. She says thank you so much for showing us real life journals. I have-
0: I have a, a cousin named Emma Smith. Keep going. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. I don't know if it's the same person.
1: Maybe it's your cousin. So she says, I so. do have a question. Do students write down all the notes from the mini lessons? I'm excited to start this in my classroom or at least something similar. I teach fourth grade, so I'm worried about the amount of time it would take the younger students to jot the lessons note down. Again, thanks so much for putting this video together for us. So, it's kind of a, a two questions in there so to speak so first question is uh, do students write down all the notes from the mini lessons what's go to you first
0: well I would I would probably modify that a little bit maybe they don't have to write every word down but you could show them how to do it or you could give them uh, some code words just but I would maybe shorten my mini lesson just a little bit give them pieces at a time let them work with it then come back and teach another piece so you could do that Um, as far as like all of the notes like I mean some of them are a lot I do give a lot of notes uh, because what we shared was my notes to the students and then they took down the things that I told them you have to get this down no matter what it might not have been the entire entire page and Not all of mine. Some some of my notes are just like maybe drawing storyboard pictures of what they, you know, like I, I teach plot. I know you love plot. But anyway, when I have to teach plot sometimes, I might use a fairy tale or something. So I might draw a little storyboard of that fairy tale, and then they draw the diagram, and that's their notes. So I think your notes could be something, you know, anything that you want them to be. I don't know if that answers that question, but I would definitely modify it for the level of your student. Yeah. And I would stick to the objective and make sure that whatever you're asking those students to do meets the rigor of that standard. All right, go ahead.
1: Well, no, I, I agree. I think there is, <clears throat> you know, there is, uh, there, there is a, a million ways that that mini lesson page can look. And I said this briefly in that uh, hour and a half <laughs> episode we did, but you know like some days there is like a note heavy day some days um i'll show like an example of a passage that there's a great one i i said the tale of two cities when we did that but there's another one that i did more recently um from oh, i have to look this up hang on between the author his name between two commas um no between the commas not between between the commas, by there we go, Martin Brandt. I had him on the podcast. This is definitely a book geared towards secondary, and I've even shown secondary teachers this book who were kind of <laughs> uh intimidated by it. So, this is <laughs> probably not one that uh elementary teachers will use, but the, I'm bringing it up because he uses this example that it's this amazing passage from this. Um, This guy who clowned Mount Everest and he talked about climbing it and the feeling he got when he was up there and then kind of like this feeling of disappointment almost like being done and just like, oh, this isn't like like this is it. This is what this big accomplishment was. it's it's really great, but the 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 way it's structured is awesome. like it is a fan it's just a really great paragraph. And one day one of my one of my challenges for my honor students is we took that and I had we read it and we analyzed it but then so my students didn't take any notes while we were reading it, right They had the passage. we stapled it and glued it in, we read it, we discussed. so no writing throughout this whole mini lesson until, we started using it as our model. So we took it sentence by sentence and tried to craft our own thing. And I even scaffold it for uh, students who might not have been able to do that. I, I actually created a graphic organizer to differentiate a little bit and broke it up sentence by sentence, almost like a poem. Um, and it created – they ended up creating these really awesome paragraphs. And some of them use that in like the pieces. They use this as their their piece starters. Um so in that case, if I would have showed that in that video, there really have been no notes there, right? There would have been just their writing that they did. Um, sometimes, uh, like I've used like I've used it for their just quick write or their reflection on a video we watched, or a poetry or a, a slam poem that we've done. So uh, when it comes to adapting, I think it's getting st- I think the structure itself, mini lesson. Uh, and the numbering at the top because we talked about how the numbers connect to the data tracking and everything. But that standard at the top, like I could see how younger grades might not want students writing down the standard verbatim every day. I could see right. how that could be it's slow for middle schoolers sometimes. So I can imagine that being a potential problem. But like that's something that could like if you're handing them a passage that day, you can put that standard at the very top, right? Of the yeah, piece that, that you're passage where.
0: Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. But yeah, so where where you actually hand them the hosts. Yeah. The whole thing. And then their work could be highlighting the keywords. Yes. Yes. And then they create their goal from the keywords. That could be something that they could do.
1: Exactly, and honestly, that's a good um, English learner uh, strategy um, to have them to do that, and then be able to highlight certain words. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with this. But I think you know, if if people saw that that are in younger grades and and like the structure, but feel like it might be over the head, just modify it. Like I, I wouldn't modify it to death in terms of cause you still want them interacting with the academic language, but where, whatever that interaction is depends on your grade level, the level of your students in your classroom, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think guides that decision ultimately, right? The majority of my Mm -hmm. time, uh, in the last several years I've worked with honor students although I've talked about several times that I have not only taught honor students when I was at our campus that we were at together briefly I had the whole oh, you had the you spectrum had and literally, they were wonderful and they, they were. were but mm-hmm. but we did this right from the lowest yeah, to the highest did. student we implemented mm-hmm. this uh structure and it worked for all of them and I modified it based on who they were but it was it was effective i've seen it effective in it just class after class i've seen it effective in spanish teachers classrooms you know what i mean and, and in right. uh new newcomer classrooms and everything else so um i think it's valuable but i don't know i hope hopefully that answers her question a little bit i have another one though to not okay. bog down too much um this one we got multiple times so this one we're um by the way Before I read this question, I want to tell people that I am about to send out some materials to y'all. I know y'all have DM'd me. We have been back. Recently in our campus We had to plan for a training Ochoa has been doing stuff so we've been Kind of behind in terms of sending some stuff out I haven't forgotten about y'all I promise But this major question asked by several People was they love it But they wonder can it work digitally Their students prefer to work on laptops Their school is set up For them to turn and work digitally as well She's mentally crafting This is Lori Axford by the way She's mentally crafting a shared Google Doc as she watches so she was already in the zone as we were, (laughs) as the video was rolling, we, we had another one, uh, Veronica. Um, she was said she's so psyched to see this video. Um, she was just talking about, she was listening to our episode where we said we were going to do this. So she was excited that it popped up. Um, she said, thank you. She goes, I'm doing writing workshop for the first time this year and I was feeling overwhelmed. That was just a compliment. Who am I looking for? I'm looking for another one. Oh, it was an email that someone sent me where they said they were looking for a digital uh, version of this. So let's talk about that. This will probably be the last uh, thing we hit on in this episode unless we start getting distracted. But in terms of craft and draft digitally, one, when – we didn't go digital for people that are new to the podcast and maybe didn't go all the way back. One of the first episodes we did, I would say maybe the the first 10 for sure. We said paper is King. Um, and we doubled down on our love of paper and writing of paper. And we talked about the research of that. So we don't need to rehash all of that here. I would recommend people go see that. But with that said, so when, when it comes to digital craft and draft books, Um, It can be done. We chose not to for a variety of reasons, but there are teachers in our district who use Craft and Draft that did do digital uh, stuff, which is when I responded to them, I said there is a version that I've seen, so I'm going to share that with them. Um, But when it comes to you, though, right? ignoring the fact that someone has already done this, when you think of Craft and Draft digitally, if you were going to create this digitally today for our students coming in next week what would be the fundamental things that you would think through in terms of making sure all of the the pieces of craft and draft stay true but it stays digital to to accommodate for all the reasons why someone would be digital with this
0: well i think one of the things that it not being digital is your side by side so it seems like to me to replicate that digitally could be difficult but you could do it if you We're able to do maybe columns where you divide it, put a paper, make it landscape. And then you put it into two columns that might be, or maybe not two columns, but two text boxes. If you put it into two columns, it's just going to, it won't work right. But if you have a text box on one side and a text box on the other, uh, you could do that with with, uh, maybe slides or PowerPoint type google slide presentation where you have you know a a notebook or whatever a, a side and a side i think i think to me the the hardest thing about this is is when you go digital uh is you're losing that side by side and uh so to me that would be the one thing i would not want to lose so i would figure out a way for the students to do the right side left side And I think text boxes might be your best way to go about that. There may be another way that I'm not familiar with. uh, But to me, most everybody has Google Drive or a a lot of them use Google Classroom, those types of things. So I think that the Google Slide or a Google um, Doc that's been broken into two parts or with two... Side-by-side text boxes where you can go back and forth might be a way to do it. Uh, What I did, because, you know, we did have online classes. So my students took pictures of their work. So they stayed in the actual physical notebook. And then they took pictures of the pages that I wanted to see. And so they did that. And then when they moved to the typing, where they took their actual work out of the book you know out and typed it for for a final draft then that final draft we had created folders google drive folders and it would say their portfolio their name and their portfolio whatever and then they would actually upload their pictures of their pages and upload their final documents into that portfolio and so i was able to and then they shared it with me so i was able to have access to their portfolios so that's that's one way to do it, that doesn't mean there, there's probably a better way out there that I'm not familiar with, but that is how, if I had to do this tomorrow and they said, you have to go digital, those are the, that's the element that I wouldn't want to give up is the side by side. Cause I think that's what makes this work.
1: So, uh, yes, that's the major thing, right? That's, that's at least one of the major key pieces because the side by side on craft and draft is connecting their independent reading to the mini lesson. And then the side-by-side in side the draft book is connecting uh, their, their drafting to conferring and notes and revision and everything else. And then that mm-hmm. all extends out. But So the digital version that I'm going to send these these kind people who've listened and have been so mm-hmm. patient for me to send this. I'm actually going to share my screen right now. <laughs> We're not recording this, but I'm going to share it with you so you can see this because I think it's um, it's interesting. So if we go here. So this is one version of a craft book. So it's Google Slides. You see this?
0: Okay, and I said Google Slides, so that would yeah. be working. Yeah. So
1: Google Slides, she even had it to where they can decorate, like they can move this stuff around so they can decorate their front like cover. That.
0: So what we're Pretty seeing cool, right? there is they put an a uh, cover of a notebook on a slide.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's and it's they had all of craft. these And they had like these stickers here, so you can take these and put them over here. Okay, you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, Uh, yeah. And I think that's great. Um, I think that's great. But you know me in choice, there are a lot of choices here on this page. But there, but their choices made only for what the teachers already. Yes, it's
1: the artificial choice, right?
0: Yeah, it yeah. is. I think it We've is. We limited
1: your choice. I think those. To be fair, I think the teacher who did this. I think those but are just examples cute. for yeah. them. But so what she did, though, um, and I'm going to narrate this as we go through. And the people who asked for this, um, I can send. Okay. It to so you, next slide has mm-hmm. table of contents, right? And it has the topic and this. And so what she does is this, like example. These have been deleted because this is something that she used before. Um, uh-huh. But what she would do is she. Uh, the table of contents, they would connect their slides. So when they were watching this digitally, they would basically get the mini lesson and then hyperlink that in their table of contents and then add it into their own personal slides. So by the end of a unit, you know, you might have, let's say you did 10 mini lessons, there'd be 10 additional slides and then you hyperlink those to the table of contents, um, in terms of the left and right, that the way I would solve that digitally if I was using this is I would use the notes feature of slides. So if I had the mini lesson as one slide, the notes feature at the bottom where you can oh, kind of no, list your work. notes to present, that's where the student would type in, okay, so we talked about setting today and in my book – uh, Red Wall, which is a fantastic book, by the way, in my book, Red Wall. Um, there it's Matt, it's a bunch of mouse, ma- mice, meese, meeses, mouses. Yeah. mice. <laughs> yeah. I'm living sure in, it. living mouses, in, probably. uh, living in mice. A, a, a kingdom. Right. And so th- mm-hmm. they would talk about it that way. Now there's a draft book version of this. So if I move this out of the way. So similar thing, right? Uh, cover that they can decorate, yada, yada, yada. Um, table of contents. And then the same thing. So what she had students doing is because it was all digital, they would type. So they would type here um, and, and connect it uh, to – they would hyperlink the table of contents um, with whatever they were typing, um, I feel like this is you, you and I have a natural aversion to this because we love paper so much, right? Like I, I see this, well, and I'm
0: like, eh. Well, yeah. Well, the thing about the thing about writing, first of all, typing and writing are look. You're looking. You're using the brain in two different ways. I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that the students need both. So, honestly, I did it. Like I said where they took the picture and they turned in their picture digitally but they had to write the other thing about that too is if they're writing it I know they're writing it so if they take a picture of their writing sometimes it's hard to read but they could you know i guess type it I don't know but but the thing the thing about writing it is I know it's their work And sometimes when you're typing it, you can just copy and paste from someone else's work. And I'm not absolutely 100% sure it's their work. That's the other thing. When my my students write, they do most of their writing in the classroom. They do all their handwriting in the classroom. I don't send that home for homework. What would be home for homework would be where they type their work up. So when they're typing their work up, I at least have a handwritten copy that's been done in my classroom. And that eliminates a lot of, that eliminates a lot of uh, borrowing from other people that I can't always find when I do my little note finding things or essay finding things on the computer so those are my versions to it but I just really think when we write there's just a different learning process when you hand write it it's that tactile learning that I don't think you get in the same manner as when you type that's just my personal opinion
1: you know what's interesting, and I, I already know the counter argument to what I'm going to say, but so I did, uh, you know, Abdo's training with you this year. I was one of your pupils for a little bit. Yeah, and for a little when, bit.
0: Should have lasted longer. You were busy doing some kind of what book? I, yeah,
1: don't know. I was finishing a book. I did finish <laughs> the whole good, training. Though. I did half the training.
0: Good. You did. I'm it. so excited for that.
1: It. By the way, I have. Oh my god, I have. I keep thinking of new ideas to implement. Anyway, that's off topic, but. Um, in terms of, so one of the things I think about with the whole writing thing, and like I said, I already have my counter argument to this, but for me, I hate writing by hand at this point in my life. It drives me crazy. It bothers me to no end. Like, like if I'm writing a piece, like if I'm writing down notes or whatever, that's fine. I've talked about how I'm not really a note taker before. That's true. But I understand that it's useful for a variety of ways. But when I'm – so when I have students who I, – like I have a few students who showed me that they, they would write more if they typed. And like I have yeah. students who they uh, they write like um, – like I have students who stayed in contact with me kind of over summer that are still writing. And what they'll do is that they write on their phone. They like have their notes app and they just type it that way and they'll send a screenshot. And they'll be like, hey, Chastain, could you give me some pointers on this piece or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I think that is – that stuff is so valuable, but uh, here's the thing though. Like I think the being all digital, it's a, it's a lot harder to be all digital and then encourage kids to be on paper. Um, it's easier to start all paper and then allow the digit, the digitalization of certain things over time. Like if a student, like if it's a good accommodation because they have struggle writing or something like that, or, Mm -hmm. um, or, or for various reasons. So, Um, if if people can, you know, I think you and I both stand hardcore on the side of have them write. They can take pictures and stuff. But if people want to do digital, I wouldn't have them write on their Google Slides necessarily. What I would do is maybe do the same thing if they had a Google Slide uh, draft book. But link rather than linking to that, they could link to a a Google Doc that they use.
0: I agree with that.
1: Um, or use just a rolling Google Doc. So, like, train students that, this might be harder for younger kids, but when they want to start on a new section, do a page break, and then start there the same way they would do just turning the page. Right. Um, and you could do it that way, too, and that way it's almost like a rolling journal because the part of the reason why the draft book exists is that they have a living body of work over time. Because what happens is by December, they're like, holy crap, like, I've written so much here and they're like man i've grown so much especially by the end of the year they go back and look at the beginning of that draft book and they're like oh my god what was i even doing like (laughs) the kids speak to it so much it's it's hard to get rid of that and you can't capture that in in typing alone not in the same level i don't think because it's there's different factors
0: yeah no i agree with that that's i mean one of the i think my most you know even before we'd had all this digital, right? The kids would type it and then we'd have to print it off because we didn't have Google Docs. We didn't have all of that. So they'd have to type it off. And then we would put it in our actual physical portfolios. But when the students would have to turn in their final copy for me, they also had to turn in everything else that they did with that piece. And that's how I used to do it. Well, when they turned in everything that they did with that piece, they were turning in anywhere from a half an inch to an inch. Uh, I mean, maybe not an inch. It might be, but I'm telling you, at least half an inch. I don't know. Sometimes it was an inch. By the time we did, but every page that they did, anything they did, any kind of sharing, any kind of editing, any kind of rewrite, any kind of mini lesson that went with it, they all they put it all together. And they paper clipped it, or I used to have those big binder clips because that's really all that would fit around them. And that, and then their their uh, final copy was on the on the top. But when the students would turn it in to me, or that day they put it all together, and then the final copy was on the top, and they'd go, "Miss Ochoa, look at all that I've done." I mean, it was just really amazing for them to see all the work that they actually had done because day by day one item at a time you get lot. You don't realize how much you've actually done, but boy, I tell you what, when they put it all together, it was neat to watch them all go, Whoa, I didn't know we worked that hard. It was just really kind of fascinating. And I loved that day. That was probably one of my favorite days back in the old days before digital. (laughs) It was awesome guys.
1: No, I, you know, here's the thing. I think, uh, we here here's what we'll cap this uh conversation off with which is okay you know i uh if people do this digitally we would love uh to hear from you you know we would love to feature um, some of these ideas, you know, if you find something that really works this year, send it to us and it would be, it would be really cool to reference, you know, there's a section of the craft and draft book that is, is designated to the, the variances of it because this is right. You know, we want to stress that this is not a, it's not a program. It's not a scripted curriculum. It's none of that. We've railed against it before. It would be entirely hypocritical if we did, <laughs> if we created something <laughs> that did what we despise in education, it is a structure and there, there's a there's a rhyme and a reason for certain things, but there's definitely wiggle room and there's definitely room for modification and there's definitely room for, um, even, I mean, even advancement. So if you take some of the craft and draft ideas um, and you change them to certain or you find that there's a certain way that works really well or that you do what we do and there's that works, all of that information would be really great for us as um, you know, we fine tune the ideas in the book and and fine tune what we want to put out there. I see craft and draft as something that's going to evolve over time, and as teaching evolves, and as access to certain things evolves. Like I could see different versions of the book coming out over time, right. just because teaching changes, and um, we're we're always so involved in this. But so, if you guys have input or insight into that that you use. Feel free to reach out. But that's all we have on this episode of the Craft and Draft podcast. Thank you guys for watching the video. If you haven't, go check it out. As of recording, this is August 11th. It goes away at the end of August. After that, you have to reach out to us um, and pay for access to that will be behind a paywall because of the intellectual property involved in that. But we're leaving it live for the intro of August because we want to support the people that are already in with us on this podcast. So shout out to you guys listening and supporting. Shout out to everyone who commented. Shout out. Hopefully, we answered some of your questions. If you have more, you can submit them in a variety of ways. The best way is to go to craftanddraftworkshop.com. You can hit submit a question. It's right at the top of the website. You can also DM me directly. You can go through Teacher Teacher. Some of y'all go through different avenues to ask us questions. Um, I always share we I always share the questions with Pam Ocho. It's so funny. We're sitting in PD today on our campus, <laughs> and I literally just handed her my phone and showed her a few emails that we got. So we're always... <laughs> (laughs) reading, we're always sharing, we're always talking about you guys. And the more you guys interact, it honestly makes this show and this whole process better because it becomes less about us talking to each other, more about us talking uh, with you, which I think is super fun. And I love the community of just people coming together like that with something unique and all about workshops. So... Thank you, guys. If you enjoy this or if you want to support us, there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, one, you can go watch the video, like it, and share it with your team. There is a Cash App link if you guys want to donate. No pressure. We understand people under things, but that does exist on that video while it is up. You'd like and share the podcast. Reviewing the podcast is the best way you can support us right now. Because the more you review and rate the show, the more we rank. The algorithms love reviews and ranking. So if you have the time listening to this on your podcast app, hit the five-star button. Type a few kind words. And you literally will support us more than you know. We have been charting on... Uh, the educational charts for a while now with craft and draft, which is wonderful. It's cool to see two podcasts up there. You got teach me teacher and craft and draft, but this one's such a niche podcast. It's definitely cool to see it uh, ranking in the, in the podcast growing. So thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you guys are having a safe back to school. I know things are crazy with, Delta and classrooms being open, classrooms being closed, people not knowing what they're doing. Hopefully you are just doing what's right for kids, what's right for your community, and you are making the proper decisions in order to have a fantastic educational year. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you.